0: You are listening to the Manos Accelerator podcast in partnership with Google Launchpad. We interview rockstar entrepreneurs who share their exact formulas for success in customer acquisition, growth hacking, fundraising, or scaling a company. And I'm your host, Juan Felipe Campos. Manos Nation, there is no better way for you to support the production of this podcast than by giving us a review and a five-star rating on iTunes. Let's help each other out. I will send you a list of 100 grants to fund your startup if you review the podcast on iTunes and then tag us on a social media post. Okay, it's very easy. So step one, support us by rating this podcast five stars on iTunes. Step two, tag Manos Accelerator on a social media post. And step three, I will send you a list of 100 grants for your startup. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Manos Accelerator podcast. We have a very special guest today, venture capitalist, Mr. Ariel. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Ariel, So, in about 30, 60 seconds, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and maybe a little bit of a brief story about how you got here?
1: Of course. Um, So, I am a managing partner at Brainstorm Ventures. We are an early stage micro VC firm based in San Francisco, we primarily invest in tech startups in the U.S. and in Mexico. Uh, we just launched our second fund last summer. We've made six investments thus far. And exits from our first fund include OpenTable, Zappos, me.com, and Keo Networks, which for those of you who don't know is a, uh, a company in Mexico which is actually their first unicorn.
0: Wow. That is amazing. So Ariel, yeah, thank you for coming on the show. This is going to be a value-packed episode where people get to hear from you directly what it is that you look for at Brainstorm Ventures, but also how the venture capital ecosystem works for startup founders in Latin America and here in the U.S., Latino-led businesses. And it's amazing because you certainly know something about fundraising in the investment world that most startup founders don't get. So what's something about venture capital that you've learned over the years that you can share with the audience and that you wish that startup founders would really understand?
1: Yeah, uh, so I think one thing to keep in mind is that unlike angel investors or friends and family for that matter, venture capitalists have a fiduciary duty to their limited partners. Um, That is to say, we act in the best interest of the capital which they entrusted us with, right? So um, we have to act uh, very responsibly. Um, As such, I think it's important for founders to understand that VCs evaluate potential investments in terms of risk, uh, broadly speaking, you know, there's many categories of risk, including, but not limited to, uh, execution risk, technology risk, uh, market risk, uh, legal or uh, regulatory risk, and an astute founder will understand the biggest risks facing their particular startup and work on de-risking them um, and demonstrate to VCs how they've mitigated against these risks.
0: Right, and so. Th- Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. So a lot of founders come to you and they maybe don't understand where the money's actually coming from or how they can mitigate that risk. So maybe they can tell you, hey, here's why we're excited about it. We have these people on board. We have this great technology. And maybe they'll go down a rabbit hole of like, and this is all of the amazing things about the technology and the technology is so great, da, da, da. And then you're like, guys, zoom out. How are you going to, let's say, break into a different market? How are you going to X, Y, Z? So you're thinking totally different Terms than maybe most startup founders are thinking. Um, walk us through a typical fundraising process. What does it actually look like in, pras- in, in practice? From intro all the way to getting money in your in you know in the bank at one of your firms. Is there a point where the VCs literally just wire transfer the money into our startup bank account?
1: Yeah. So for us, you know, once we meet the founder or receive a, a warm intro to the founder from a, a trusted source, you know, we schedule the the initial caller meeting, which is where the, the founder first pitches to us, um, we do that in order to be able to get, get to know them better and their startup. Um, afterwards, if it makes sense to continue the conversation, we'll request additional info, right? So competitive analysis, cohort analysis, a cap table, um, the usual, the usual uh, uh, data requests. And then and then usually um along with that we'll ask to schedule one or two follow-up calls or meetings with the founder in order to ask some some additional questions and get to know them better. Um we spend most of our time during the investment process evaluating the merits of the opportunity and trying to get comfortable with again what we see as its greatest risks. Um we lean us in particular, uh we lean very heavily on industry and tech leaders in our network to help answer some of these questions. Um, In addition to this business diligence, we also conduct uh, a legal due diligence that's very standard towards the end of the process. However, this is usually a much more involved component of the investment process for later stage deals than for um, seed investments. Um, ultimately, we, you know, we summarize our key findings and takeaways in an investment memo and then decide, as a general partnership, whether to make the investment. Um, if we decide to uh, move forward with the investment, we obviously sign the uh, agreement and call capital from our limited partners to, to fund it. Um, I think the, the part I left out is, in terms of legal documents, uh, if we're the lead investor, We obviously play uh, the lead role in negotiating and executing a term sheet with the founders. Um, There's a number of terms that would probably require another podcast to get into, but most of them um, are around either economic or control um, items. And then after concluding our business due diligence and then getting involved with drawing up the definitive docs, um, we, we go ahead and sign. I'd say nowadays, in many rounds that we invest in, which are Early stage primarily seed uh, the deals are structured as safe financings so there aren't term sheets and the negotiations is is minimal right very little negotiation is necessary mostly around the cap and the discount um, so that you know kind of saves a lot of time on both ends
0: Fascinating so some of the numbers that I know off the top of my head and it would be amazing to hear from you the, w- the way that it works at your firm uh, so Encore Capital something that they do they get about 3,000 um, pitches Solicited and unsolicited about a year and then they only look at about 950 pitch decks of which they only take 500 to 600 first time mm-hmm. meetings and then they only take about 150 second time meetings and so far mm-hmm. the process sounds like pretty much how you guys do it yep. and then they end up only doing uh, due diligence on about 50 of those deals of which they then only send uh, offer to about 18 of them and then they close 12 to 15 a year. These are all ballpark numbers but it, yeah. it ends up working about that. Do you have some of those numbers? I find it fascinating to know these numbers of, um, of a firm because then you can start reverse engineering pretty much everything. like Everything from getting the first meeting to what it means to get the second meeting, what the steps look like. Do yeah. you know off the cuff some of these numbers for you guys? How many startups do you look at a, a year? How yeah. many do you actually end up funding?
1: I, so Similar percentages in, in terms of our funnel as Encore, we end up Funding between four and eight deals per year, I would say. Okay. So if you then went backwards up the funnel, similar percentages. Um, We don't monitor how many deals we receive. We only monitor the deals that we receive and have at least some um, high-level interest in to you know at least you know dig in a a little bit. Um, And yeah, I would say out of the out of the deals that we get involved with diligence on beyond the first call. Um so you know there's a a follow on data request we potentially meet with the founder one or more times afterwards i would say that we end up investing in about 25% of them
0: Got it okay so so you guys are probably looking at maybe 400 to 500 pitch decks a year is that accurate yeah. to say Yeah that's easily, Okay i would say yes Okay, got it, yeah. Um, so if, if it's about the same percentages, the reason that I think is, it's important to have this here on this episode is that essentially means that both in Brainstorm Ventures and in Encore Capital, the example that I gave, you're essentially saying no to like 99.5% of, of startups. So it's yeah. very important that the startup actually understand the thesis of your firm and they're not just like blank, blanket pitching it to as many people as they can, but that they are actually relevant um, because if, you're, if they're not relevant to the thesis and exactly what you guys are looking for, I mean, you can stay friends, you can maybe try to connect them, but that's a very big stretch given how busy you must be. For the most part, if they're not relevant, it's very easy for you to just pass on them. That doesn't mean they're not a good startup, that just means it's not a fit for yeah. the firm and everything you're looking for.
1: Agreed. I, th- I think it's very important for, for startups, for founders to do their homework on on potential investors. I also think it's important for, you know, as a next step for founders to know who the decision makers are at each VC firm, um, so for example, an associate may fall in love with um, that founders startup but not have a lot of power to champion the deal at their firm um, yeah. some firms take it a step further so you know they're they're run by their partnerships other firms uh, they have ex- external investment committee members that can veto a deal, so even if the partnership is is you know kind of giving a thumbs up to a deal. The deal might not go through. Um, I was actually on the board of a company that was literally one day away from signing definitive docs tied to a large and much needed investment um, with an option to acquire down the road um, from a strategic publicly traded company that most of uh, your listeners are probably very familiar with. Um, and literally on the last day, their investment committee voted no um, on proceeding on the on the investment, and our CEO was never made aware of this last step in the process, and um, you know, we as the board got completely blindsided and left hanging, to say the least. So, it's important to know wow. uh, what the internal process
0: is at at the phones yeah. with which you're um, conversating. Before we continue with the episode, you should know about this. We recently partnered with Brex, the smart credit card for founders to finance and boost their startups. Everything about Brex is made for startup and e-commerce founders just like you. The card scales with you and gives you up to 20 times higher credit limits than any competing card. And for listeners of this podcast, benefit from our partnership and get $5,000 in AWS credits, plus absolutely no card fees for life by activating your account through our partnership link. It's Brex.com slash Manos, Brex, B-R-E-X.com slash Manos, M-A-N-O-S to get all of your fees waived for life and $5,000 in AWS credits. Now, on to the episode. There you go, three super big key takeaways. One, you need to understand um, exactly what it is that the VC is looking for. Number two, you need to actually understand the processes and everything they look for. And then number three, like the processes of how they handle a deal. And then number three, you also don't want to just have one relationship with one VC. You want to make sure that you're shopping, your your investment opportunity to as many relevant VCs as possible, so that if things fall through, um, then you know you're not you're not left out in the cold. So, uh, you, I mean, like we said, you're probably passing on 99.5 percent of the startups that do end up sharing a pitch deck with you guys. What are the three biggest or most common reasons that you do pass on an investment?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I would say assuming that the opportunity falls within our general parameters, um, you know, in terms of stage, geography, things of that sort, I would say one. Um, the market isn't sufficiently large, uh, and/or we don't think that the market timing is right. Which is, it's you know, it's hard to determine that. But I would say that's one. I would say two: uh, the product or service isn't filling a need in the marketplace, which is often you know brought to light by by a lack of of traction to date. Um, and then third, I would say that we don't think that the right team is in place to be able to um, execute on. Um, you know, successfully scaling the, the startup. Um, I would say for us in particular, a fourth is that sometimes it's, it's not a technology or an industry vertical that we can get comfortable with, either based on our own expertise or that of people we trust, so we pass for that reason. It could be an amazing deal for you know a plethora of other firms, but we just can't get
0: comfortable. Wow, okay, so even that's super interesting to know. So you can say, Okay, great. I believe in the timing. I also believe that the market is big enough. I Heck, I even believe that you guys are the right people to do it. It's just we can't bring enough unfair leverage given our network, given our connections, given our own background that we actually feel like this is going to be smart money. Um, yep. We're gambling too much here. Yep. So it doesn't make sense for us. Yep. Okay, makes sense. Um, so deal a lot of founders here are internationals. Obviously, they're Rockstar founders, they're crushing it in their home countries with their ecosystems um, that are probably not as developed yet. They need money to grow and look towards the US, right? We see this all the time with the accelerator. They're not incorporated in the US yet. So they come here for like a month or so to raise funds with the expectation, like, I'll just go to California, I'll try to raise some money, then come back to Mexico, then come back to Colombia and try to do it. If you were in their position, what would you do? Or what what's something that you understand about that situation that you wish that more founders knew before they come here for a month or three months?
1: Yeah. Um, well, Taking a step back, I think that startups intending to operate in their local markets and not in the U.S. Um, have less of a reason to set up shop in the U.S. as it's you know, obviously a good idea to be close to your customers. Um, furthermore, there are obvious benefits to taking advantage of local talent such as minimizing turnover and, and, and cash burn, which goes hand in hand with hiring employees in Silicon Valley as as many people know um that being said i also think it's a good idea to try and raise money from silicon valley vcs to establish relationships here um especially if a funding gap exists in the founders local market um in which case startups will likely need to incorporate as a delaware c corp um to secure that funding from from local silicon valley vcs um in terms of that you know that actual one month visit um i think that founders uh should try to work uh warm introductions to Silicon Valley VCs, either while visiting or better yet, prior to traveling. Um, As we discussed a few minutes ago, it's important for founders to do their homework on which VCs would be a good fit for their startup in terms of um, stage and sector, um, et cetera. Um, Additionally, I do think that in many instances, uh, VCs coming from abroad, uh, sorry, founders coming from abroad might want to consider joining a US based accelerator um, because they often do serve as a kind of an equalizer that helps level the playing field um, uh, for those startups. So,
0: definitely. And uh, being a part of such an accelerator uh, here in the US, I, I can tell you that something that VCs are, there's kind of like two things that an accelerator like this can bring to the table for an international founder, on the one hand, with the warm intros to VCs, and on the other hand, warm intros to corporates that might end up being clients of yours. Yep. And now that ends up being transferable social currency for VCs that may not be familiar with the ecosystem in Argentina, but they see, oh wow, you like you already have Facebook as a client, you have Google as a client, or you're you know you have an LOI with some of the household names here. That is immediately transferable uh, again, social currency, social status, even though you might have some of the biggest clients in Brazil, if. If a VC here won't recognize it, um, there's a little bit more friction in getting that, that conversation going. So um, yeah. I, I can definitely attest to the value in having a soft landing like that.
1: And the one thing I would add there is is in terms of doing your homework on VCs, some VCs to this day still will not um, uh, invest or become interested in a startup that they can't visit um, an Uber ride away from, from Sand Hill Road. I think that a lot of VCs, even those that are US-based, you know, all of their offices are in the U.S., um, are starting to open up, up to other regions of the world and they're more you know, willing to kind of um, explore investing in startups that are uh, based elsewhere. So I think getting a sense for which VCs have you know, recently invested in, in foreign startups is also a, a key piece of, of valuable homework to do.
0: Love that. Okay, yeah, so you're saying, don't be discouraged if people are, t- are, t- are telling you, no, we're only interested in founding startups that are around here, so don't be surprised by that on the one hand, but on the other hand, just know that there are people that are specifically looking yeah. to do these kind of deals, so just track them down and focus on them. That's going to be uh, a better conversion on your end. Great, so uh, moving lo- along here, Ariel, what, what is the definition of a good investment for you and uh, particularly at your firm at Brainstorm? Do you
1: mean in terms of outcomes or at the time of investment?
0: Actually, both. Like, what do you um, look for? Yeah, yeah, an outcome and at the time.
1: So, at the time of investment, I'd say a huge market opportunity, obviously, and a founder who has really wowed us during the period of time that we're getting to know each other um, and built a product that you hear this sometimes, but it's, it's true that has an unfair uh, or a defensible technology advantage and an unfair or defensible uh, way of getting the product to market. Um, I think those are. Uh, very uh, key for us. It's it's sort of the secret sauce, right? Of the of the company. Um, at the time of exit, I think most folks are you know probably um, evaluating their investments along the same metrics. You know, uh, solid exit for the founders, for the employees, for the investors, and and for us, it's also important that it's it's a company that has helped make the world a better place
0: in in some way. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that. So yeah, on the one hand. <laughs> this especially happens with consumer startups where um you know someone's telling you oh i want to create this technology and you say well why are you uniquely positioned to create that technology and they say well because i'm a i'm a consumer it's like okay that's great but that's not really defensible because that that means any of us could just come up with the same idea maybe out execute you you'd rather have someone that comes from the right background or has the right licenses or has the right distribution strategy the right go to market strategy right that they can that makes it defensible that makes perfect sense that you look for something like that um Moving along here, what's a question that you wish founders would ask you as an investor more often that they're not asking you right now?
1: Yeah, um, one that doesn't get asked often at all, but I personally wish would, um, is pertaining to our portfolio strategy and our ability to participate in future financing rounds. Um, I think this would help provide background for negotiating certain terms up front, like, uh, such as pay-to-play, but also set expectations up front um, in terms of you know the likelihood of us participating in future financing rounds and avoid false perceptions um, in the future if one or more investors aren't able to to re up. Um, so for example, we we right, invest in a yeah. series seed. We may or may not. Uh, be able to do a follow-on investment in the Series A, chances are we will not participate again in the Series B, but that's not, that shouldn't be interpreted as a negative signal. We're a micro VC fund that's very focused on kind of seed, Series A, right? So I think it's important for founders to know um, the types of investors that they have in terms of you know, how, how long they, uh, for how many rounds they continue to invest in their, in their startups, right. et cetera.
0: And I'm sure you guys have a series of processes and relationships that you can call on to make sure that they do have follow-up funding. Because it's not like you don't know that you're not going to be investing in a series B. Like you definitely know, and you've mitigated for that.
1: Yeah, and we're we're making introductions for for like our you know we have those six portfolio companies that are currently um, um, in our portfolio, and for a few of them, they're already preparing for that series A round. And we've made you know several interesting introductions for each of them. So that's that's
0: something we do spend a lot of um, time on. Perfect, okay, makes a lot of sense. I did, last question here. So what are your favorite resources for founders? People listening to this, they're like, wow, I wish I was as, as smart and as knowledgeable as Ariel is in this space. What content do you wish they, they, they would all consume before meeting you? Like maybe a podcast or a book or a course so that they can get up to speed?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this podcast is great in terms of tactical know-how. It's less relevant so far for fundraising, but for in terms of being able to, you know, to, to grow your startup. Um, I love Um, El Valle de los Tercos, which is a Spanish-language podcast um, that interviews um, amazing founders and venture capitalists from from Latin America or or from the U.S. that focus on Latin America. Um, Venture Deals by Brad Feld and Jason Mendelssohn is a great founder-friendly book with uh, detailed guidance on how to to raise money from VCs. And then a lot of people love uh, Fred Wilson's blog, ABC.com. Uh, I think it's a great resource.
0: Amazing. Okay, there you have it, Manos Nation. So we are listening to your suggestions. We do want to have more VCs here. We've had the head of the Harvard Angels Alumni Association of Northern California, Ariel is joining us from Brainstorm Ventures. We have lots of other interesting guests coming from Venture Capital World. You should be researching the VCs before you reach out to them, know exactly what it is that they're looking for, have multiple options on the table, and also understand the decision makers at each firm as well as the process that they take to invest. It's very easy to do that. You can research their website, you can research their blogs. You can research podcast episodes they've been on. They're very public about it. It's more important to be relevant than to just spray and pray. Okay, Manos Nation, do not forget my offer to help each other out. I'll send you a list of 100 grants to fund your startup. All you have to do is leave a five-star rating on iTunes and then tag Manos Accelerator on a social media post. Again, leave a five star review on iTunes and then tag Manos Accelerator on social media to receive a list of 100 grants to help you fund your startup. See you on the next one. Ariel, as you continue to grow and take your career forward, where's the best place for people to stay in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing?
1: Yeah, so n- n- neither me or my partner are big on, on social media, but I would, you know, please follow me on, on LinkedIn and, and you can follow Brainstorm Ventures on LinkedIn. And our website is uh, brainstorm.vc as in
0: Venture Capital. Perfect. Ariel, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all of this with us. No doubt. Thanks for having me.